0: It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Come with me
1: and we'll be in a world of pure And you'll see into your
0: imagination. That's the lyrical voice of our guest today. Tierney Sutton. This nine-time Grammy nominee has been heralded for her abilities as both a jazz storyteller and her ability to use her voice as an instrument. Her latest release, which is her 15th as an album leader, is called Paris Sessions 2, which is a follow-up to her 2014 acclaimed album Paris Sessions. Tierney, thank you for joining us on All That's Jazz.
2: Hi there. It's nice to see you, and it's great to be here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure, and I will tell you that this release, Paris Sessions 2, is amazing. And it has so many variables to it, and I would like to talk to you about that. But let me begin by saying that part of this album features uh, a collaboration with you And a uh, fellow by the name of Serge Merlot, who happens to be your husband now.
2: Yes, he wasn't my husband in 2014 when we made the first Paris Sessions, but in the interim, he has become my husband.
0: And indeed, a wonderful Parisian guitarist that uh, you now share a life with, as well as the music. And tell us how that uh, all came about. Was it love at first sight in 2014, or... How did that develop, or is that something... Well, that's
2: that's an interesting story, because I first met Serge in 1992, and uh, I was, I had been in Switzerland doing a solo gig. I was playing piano for myself and singing, and I'm a terrible pianist, but I had gotten this gig, and I had come over and spent a month at a hotel in Zurich, Switzerland, playing piano, and I had... A week in Paris, like like uh, like Lush Life, I had a week in Paris between that month and two weeks in Zermatt in the mountains of Switzerland. And I went and stayed with a friend in, in uh, Paris and I was at a jazz club sitting in, I was at a jam session and I met an expatriate American singer, a wonderful singer named Sarah Lazarus who won the monk competition actually in one of the first Monk competitions, She's a wonderful singer, real classic jazz singer. Mm-hmm. She had gone to Harvard, brilliant woman, decided to move to Paris, has since married a Parisian and has lived there and teaches there, uh, sings there. She's wonderful. And I mentioned in passing that I was a Baha'i, a member of the Baha'i faith, which is my religion. And she said, I know one Baha'i and he's a wonderful guitarist and he's a super kind, funny, handsome great guy and i said well i want to meet this guy and so the next day he called me and uh, there was by coincidence a meeting in the baha'i community that happens every 19 days that night and wherever you are they have such a thing and so we went to someone's home in uh, the the 12e arrondissement the 12th arrondissement and it was this small gathering of Baha'is. The Baha'i community in in, uh, Paris is majority African, um, um, Nigerian and uh, Tunisian and Moroccan, and it's just a really wonderful, beautiful, diverse community, and we sang some songs together, and I was so happy to have someone to play for me because I was having to deal with my own horrible piano playing. All right, so this is 1992. And so we spent a week together going to clubs he took me to. I remember we went to see we went to see Art Farmer. We I went to his gigs. He took me to cafes. He spoke hardly any English. I spoke hardly any French. And this was 1992. So I went back to LA. He gave me a beautiful record. He sent me A a record, uh, You Must Believe in Spring by Bill Evans. Uh, On one side of the cassette and on the other side of the cassette was Landscapes by Kenny Barron. And I listened to that cassette for the next 20 years. And I didn't really see Serge at all. I mean, we didn't have, there was no email in 1992. You know, long distance phone calls were prohibitively expensive. So he went on with his life, I went on with my life. And we kept in touch just, just very lightly. And then I went on, on tour in Europe in 2002, saw him briefly then. And then uh, I went back in 2012 with my band and played, and we reconnected then. And at that time I was preparing to make my Joni Mitchell record. And I played a little bit with Serge, and he has this beautiful classic uh, jazz sound on his electric guitar. And I decided to record the uh, Joni Mitchell standards with Serge and consulted with Kevin Axt, the bass player on this album. I played him some recordings of Serge. I said, what do you think about this guitarist? And he said, oh, I love him. He's great. And I said, why don't we go to Paris and record the songs, the the uh, standards on the Joni record with, with Serge? He said, oh, I'd love to do that. And when we recorded those, we just did a couple days in the studio and we recorded the whole album of Paris Sessions 1. And so we were in touch after that. And so, but the romance blossomed after that. But that was the beginning of us being in touch again.
0: And of course, it continues to today to the new release, the uh, Paris Sessions 2. What was the inspiration behind that? W- were you trying to specifically recreate either the atmosphere? Or the the ambiance of Paris Sessions One.
2: Well, it's just the most natural thing. I think probably as long as uh, as life goes on, every every five years or so, we'll do another Paris Sessions record. Because uh, what I found in my in my marriage and in my relationship with Serge is that we have our own musical m- musical connection together, and. I've had the Tierney Sutton Band, which I love and am devoted to. That's, that's my other marriage, really. It's a musical marriage and it's been a very successful and fruitful musical marriage for almost 30 years. But the Tierney Sutton Band is its own animal. And with Serge, it's a little different kind of thing. It's, it's sort of more the essence of the song without quite as much arranging. Although Serge does some beautiful arranging on this album, I think. And it's just a, a different sensibility. And in, in this particular record was such a natural thing because it was pandemic. Fortunately, Serge and I had gotten married at the end of 2019, and therefore, we were able to travel and be together mm-hmm. for the pandemic. Had we not gotten married in 2019, we would have really had a problem. So we spent basically half of the pandemic in Paris together and half the pandemic here together and a few months of it apart but but a lot of it together in in one location or the other and the record label said, you know, your best-selling record of your last five records is Paris Sessions. So why don't you guys, you guys are together, why don't you uh, do another one? And we already had the most of the material prepared already, so it was a very natural thing and for several years, starting in about 2009, I had a trio with the great flautist Hubert Laws and the wonderful guitarist Larry Koons, And we had started doing several things that ended up being on Paris Sessions, and we never were able to record it. And so I knew that that was a really natural and wonderful addition to the Paris Sessions sound.
0: And, of course, the uh, Paris Sessions 2 was actually recorded here, where Paris Sessions 1 was right. done in France.
2: Right, right. So, but Paris Sessions 1 was done in France, and the Kevin and Serge and I became the Paris Sessions trio. And we toured that music and, you know, put out the record, and people seemed to like it. And I was asked many times, are you going to do another Paris Sessions record? I mean, on the road. I would be asked this very, very frequently. And so I wasn't, I I can't say I was so surprised when my record label said that it was also the best-selling record, but I was a little surprised because when we released it, it didn't get a lot of publicity. It wasn't, we didn't, we didn't do a lot of the things that we did with the Tierney Sutton Ballad albums or with the Joni Mitchell album, the previous album, which had, you know... Al Jarreau on a track and, you know, it was kind of a glitzy kind of album, but, but I, I'm very proud of that album. But it, it had so much more PR than Parasessions. Parasessions was kind of a quiet little release the year after a release that got a lot of press. And the fact that it resonated so strongly uh, was wonderful. And it, it just was a very, very natural and, and easy thing. So the idea of Parasessions as a concept... Sort of existed in in my head because I knew I knew what it was. Serge knew what it was. Kevin Ax knew what it was, and I knew that we would continue doing something of this flavor, this with this spirit.
0: And I, I'm glad to hear that you have uh, Hubert Laws uh, on this particular recording. I know you've worked with him before, but this one I, I think is special. Uh, and. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I understand he had to do, Hubert had to do his sessions virtually?
2: Yeah, he recorded everything on this album in his home studio. You know, it was the height of COVID when we were doing this. He had gotten his studio up and running because he was working on an album with Chick Corea that, that was not completed i don't think i don't believe but he they he was almost finished when chick passed of doing an album with with chick and he and chick were the oldest of friends Uh, they met at juilliard and had to hide in the practice rooms and do jazz together and so he was he was really in a difficult period you know he was mourning the loss of his friends because of covid his girlfriend couldn't come and be with him from Uh, South Africa. It was just a really, really rough time, and I really appreciate that he made the space to record this during that difficult period. I think the results are what I hoped they'd be. In person, when we do this, it is spiritual. I mean, I just have to say that. It's the first time I sang unison with Hubert playing alto flute. For me, it was just an experience unlike any experience I had ever had. He has such an exquisite sound. And I realized the first time I heard him play that that was the sound I aspired to. So to be able to sing in unison with that sound has been like a an education for me. You know, he only ended up playing on five tracks of the album, which originally there were supposed to be maybe two or three more, but just with the vagaries of the difficulty of of doing it remotely, we settled on those. And I'm really, really happy with them. And I think in the end, it, as an album, it's it's fine. He's he's on just enough. But, but that is a very special thing in my musical life to be able to work with him.
0: Well, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, that collaboration, his sound, the purity of it, the spiritual elements and aspect of it. And let me just jump to the last track on the album uh, as we uh, are going to start a little conversation about it anyway. And uh, I wanted to uh, talk to you about uh, Chorado, which is the last track on the release, Paris Sessions 2. And the thing that I noticed about it so much was I was amazed at how much Hubert Laws made the flute sound like Tierney Sutton instead of the other way around.
2: You know Hubert is such a master of his craft. One of the things I noticed early on when we would do, you know, the other the other track on the album that has this element is Zingaro. Had been doing that, I, we, we would always refer to that as our hit. That was our greatest hit that we would do that. And whenever we would do it in clubs, it would just bring the house down. I mean, people would just stop in their tracks and listen to that. And I noticed that he would just gently match my vibrato on the flute. And I would be like, How do you do that? You know, how can you possibly do that? But he's just such a master. I mean, he's, he, he's the gold standard. And he loves vocalists. That's the other thing about Hubert. He really
0: loves
2: vocalists.
0: Who is emulating who in this recording? Were you following his lead or was he following your lead?
2: Well, you know, um, because of the vagaries of uh, remote recording, it was a little of both. Because on both of those tracks... I think I sent him something to follow. Then he sent me something and then I did another one to his, what he sent. Uh, you know, it, it, it was not easy to do. In person, it's easy to do because mm-hmm. we can look at each other. We can hear both of our sound together ambiently, which is a very different thing than hearing it in headphones. It's not the same. and. Um, so it was it was very difficult to do but i would say it was a little of both and that's how it is when we do it live and i liked i and when we were mixing the record uh rich bream a wonderful wonderful engineer who's won 18 gajillion grammys he just won like three more for records that he mixed i was so glad that we we got him into it and 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 listening to how he would do the levels it was so interesting because there are times on both of those tracks where the voice sounds a little louder, and then the other points where the flute sounds a little louder. And that's how it actually is. That's how it is when we do it live. You know, all my life, of course, I've admired all the great jazz horn players Miles Davis, and, um, you know, Coltrane, and Cannonball Adderley, and Stan Getz. You know, there's all these people that you admire. But the voice that God gave me in terms of pitch and tone. At its best, is not similar to those other instruments. It's more similar to Hubert Laws' flute.
0: In taking a look at the release, you kick it all off with a, a great version of the song "Triste." Did I say that correctly?
2: You know, I'm not exactly sure. In, in Portuguese, it's "triste," "triste." It's and it's a sort of it's sort of a combination. What I've noticed listening to um, people speak it. It's kind of a, a combination between Trichy and triche. And I'm not really sure exactly how that fits in. But yeah, I, I finally decided, okay, I'm gonna try to sing one in Portuguese. And so I got coaching from a dear friend who's a wonderful opera singer, Bruno Sandes. Uh, he's a wonderful opera singer in Indiana who teaches at Indiana University and uh, he coached me. And uh, I did. I did it first. I, I tried to coach myself by just listening to Ellis Regina and you know Rosa Passos and anybody I could find online. But I had a couple of spots where my eyes were looking at the words and I wasn't listening as carefully to what they were actually saying. So, but it was really fun. So, and that's that's uh, Serge's wonderful arrangement with the little soli that he wrote out for me and Kevin to play.
0: And it starts out with a beautiful bossa nova tinge to it, and it's done very, very well. And you know, the word itself, uh, triste, it, it, you know, you're supposed to think of sadness, but this tune is hardly that. <laughs>
1: Well,
2: this is the thing about about a lot of Portuguese songs. There is this. Uh, dissonance between what the lyric content is and what the music feels and sounds like. And that's that's frequently the case. It's the case of two of the things on, uh, on the album, the first being Trisci, and if I had sung the lyrics to um, Doralise, it's the same thing. <music> saying, oh, you know, you're too busy, and you don't love me, and I don't, you know, it's kind of crazy. So there is that sort of disconnect. So I think, um, I think of it when I'm singing it as um, the joy of remembering joy, like you're sad, because you're not in the presence of the joy, but you're maybe remembering the joy. Or maybe you're, enjoying the pain in a sort of Larry Hart kind of way.
0: <laughs> you also run through uh, a number of tracks that are uh, reflective of the American songbook. I love the fact that you did uh, Gershwin's Isn't It a Pity?
2: Isn't that a great tune? And that's definitely, you know, about Serge and me, you know, to, to come together sort of late in life. And it also brings back a sort of the, the classic a Paris Sessions 1 vibe that really made me fall in love with with Serge's playing and being able to sing with him that sort of call and response kind of thing his fills after my my statements <laughs>
1: Funny thing, I look at you. I get a thrill. I never knew. Isn't it a pity we never, never met?
2: You. And Kevin is doing something very, very cool and very interesting. That nobody does. He's playing the acoustic bass. He's guitar and he's cording. So he is playing a bass, but he's cording it in that way. And it's a it's a really interesting classic, beautiful sound, and it's a technique that that bass players don't normally do.
0: And then you also did Cole Porter's "You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To," and I love that version of it.
2: That one is one that I came up with the arrangement, and it was kind of a little tip of the hat to the great Sammy Nestico, who passed right before I I started thinking about that arrangement, and I was just thinking about his amazing sense of swing.
1: You'd be so Nice To go home to You'd be so Nice By the fire While the breeze On high Sang of Lullaby You'd be all my heart could desire.
2: Wanted to come up with some little vocal thing at the beginning that would be a nugget of swing vibe for Sammy. So that one's for Sammy.
0: Speaking of people to pay tribute to, you pay tribute to two people in one track, and that's Count Basie and Joni Mitchell. Tell us about that one.
2: Ah, well, let's see that is the only track on the album that was previously recorded or it, it was, the arrangement was something that I created for the Joni Mitchell album and I do it with the great pianist uh, Larry Goldings on that album and uh, we were consulting about what we could do putting together a Joni Mitchell song with one of the great standards and uh, we came up with uh, I, I remember the day that, that we thought about it. Uh, Larry came over to my place. and It was the first time we were meeting to talk about what we were going to do on this Joni Mitchell record. And he said he said some, something like, well we could, or either he or I said we could put something together with Joni's song and a standard, but what would the connection be? And he said, well we can just find some theme. And there was a lead sheet for April in Paris sitting on my piano, literally. Just sitting there. Someone had given it to me. I don't, I don't remember why it was there, but it was there. And he said, well, April. We could do April. Or, uh, or uh, we could do Paris. Paris. How about Paris as a theme? And, you know, I was like, that works. And so um, we took April in Paris and Freeman in Paris, and I figured out a way to make it a story. April
1: in Paris Chestnuts in blossom, holiday tables under the trees. Hey, Paris, this is a feeling. No one could ever reprieve. The way I see it, he said, you just can't win it. Everybody is in it for their own gain. You can't please them all. There's always somebody calling you down. I do my best and I do good business. There's a lot of people asking for my time. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to be I,
2: I wanted to, to put it on this record with Sarish because I love the way that he plays it and he has a really special way of doing it. So uh, that's how that came about.
0: Well, would that be central or the theme, maybe, of Paris Sessions 2, because you make reference to Paris?
2: I would say so. And I, at, at, for a long time, it was going to be the opening track. And uh, just in the end, we decided to put Trichy as the opening track, just so there was something with with a little tempo at the beginning. It was just, a, you know, and, and it was one of those things, and I, I think my colleagues will relate to this, when you're programming a, a, a record or a CD or a project of any kind, even though nobody cares about that now, they just want the this, this single thing and whatever. But we still, in the jazz world, think in terms of the album, and you're talking about, with me about this totality of this album, and God bless you for that. But when you're putting the order together, it's always an interesting thing because you get really attached to something and then some, some. sometimes you just move one thing and everything falls into place. And that's what happened with this. I was very attached to having April Freeman be the first track for a very long time. And then there were some things in in the middle that I didn't like how they were flowing. And then when I decided to release that and put Trichet first, then suddenly the thing that was bothering me in the middle, two things going one to the other, didn't feel the way it, it worked out. So it just happened in a, in a very elegant kind of way.
0: Uh, of all the tracks in there, we've touched on a number of them. Is there one for you that is a standout or is, is maybe the, the hallmark?
2: Uh, the other one that I would say pops to my mind is I Knew I Loved You. The Morricone, simply because, well, for several reasons. One is, the lyric is by Alan and Marilyn Bergman, and the record, if you have a a hard copy, you'll see it's dedicated to Marilyn, who passed right before we were finishing the record. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved the Cinema Paradiso theme. I've always wanted to sing it.
1: I knew I loved you Before I knew you The hands of time
2: Started to conceive of how to arrange that beautiful song that they wrote, I Knew I Loved You, uh, with Cinema Paradiso. Having Hubert uh, as a part of that, and then Serge's beautiful acoustic guitar, it's just one of my favorite. It's one of my favorites.
0: I knew you had a special relationship with the Bergmans and it means a lot to you obviously you dedicated the recording the the song really is uh fantastic and it's one of many on this release which people really do need to hear
2: the gift of being close to to alan in Marilyn is is for me so far beyond music you know i talk to alan virtually every day and i have spent so much time i was talking to him this morning and we were talking about, you know, getting used to staying home during the pandemic and being home and the difficulty of getting inspired to go out and hear music and do the things that we have to do. And I said to him, well, you know, when I come over to hang with you, I, it doesn't feel like going out to me. You know, I'm, I'm, it, it feels like I'm still in my pod. <laughs> so that's that's how I am with them. And it, it's been such a, a profound a relationship of of love and healing and wonderful things in my life
0: this album is a gift to all of us as music listeners Paris Sessions 2 is fabulous and having said that let me cut to the chase and ask you I know you've been to the Grammy altar nine times is this <laughs> going to be the one that brings home the gramophone
2: I I have no idea I would doubt it <laughs> I would doubt it, and it doesn't matter, you know. I, hey, to me, the whole it's been a tremendous gift and and boost to be nominated. I mean, really, I I never would have expected to be nominated once, let alone nine times, and so I honestly don't lose sleep (laughs) over feeling like I I should have won. Everybody that's won each time I was nominated was someone I really respected, was a great project, was someone I admired.
0: Are you going to debut this or take this album on the road or in in live performance mode?
2: Yes, and I can tell you, let's see, we'll be the 22nd of May. We're in Rockport, Massachusetts. Then I will be in New York for a week with the Tierney Sutton band. However, I think Serge will be making an appearance each night and we will be uh, doing something from Paris sessions too. And then we go to Portsmouth, New Hampshire to a gorgeous venue called Jimmy's. Uh, after that, I think that's the 29th. And then we go to the Dakota in Minneapolis on the 30th. Then I'll be in California for the month of June. Uh, we'll, we'll have our CD release at Catalina's in Hollywood on this, I think, 17th and 18th. And then we'll be in Northern California, in Santa Cruz. But what people need to do, at, and I really encourage this because this is the only way to be reasonable about it, go to my website, tierneysutton.com, put your email on the email list. I don't send out a whole bunch of stuff all the time, just now and then to tell you where I'm touring. And, uh, and then you can, can know where
0: I am. And you also have a presence and uh, strongly on other social media platforms.
2: Sure, yeah. Tierney Sutton on Twitter, Tierney Sutton Music on Instagram, and Tierney Sutton Music on Facebook.
0: Tierney, this has been a a true delight and time well spent for me to have this conversation with you and be on All That's Jazz.
2: You are very, very kind. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with nine-time Grammy-nominated vocalist Tierney Sutton.
2: We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song.
0: And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, Including Podbean, Apple Podcast,
2: and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.